This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Well, good morning again. Orion Samuelson here with you from WGN West in Scottsdale, Arizona, where we're enjoying some pretty decent weather with something that's pretty unusual in the Midwest, sunshine. And uh, as I mentioned talking to Matt earlier, the Phoenix Open Golf Tournament is underway, and so... If you want an idea of what weather is like in the desert, you can watch that because it'll go today and tomorrow. But our business this morning uh, from now until 6 o'clock news time is to talk agriculture, which I've said for decades, the most basic industry on the planet producing food for a growing world population. And uh, we're going to be talking about markets this morning. Of course, I think you can sum up the market week in equities and agricultural futures. I think you can sum it up with one word, coronavirus. That has impacted the markets all over the world. And uh, note this morning in the the overnight that uh, Apple has uh, decided to shut down all of its official stores in mainland China, and the closing will last until February 9, at least, as fears over the coronavirus outbreak mounted and the death toll more than doubled to over 250 from a week ago. But uh, not unusual, airlines canceling flights and uh, a lot of companies and businesses that uh, do business in China are canceling uh, trips to their outposts in that country. And the market, as you also heard, uh, went through a very tough day yesterday to end the week and uh, to end the month as we now move into February 1st. And we're a day away from Groundhog's Day. But uh, I do want to mention the fact that this time of the year, when we uh, are still waiting to get into the field in the U.S., uh, we're looking at uh, meeting time because... Pretty tough to uh, farm and produce and plant crops this time of the year with the snow on the ground. But that means that farmers and their organizations turn to meeting time. And let me quickly go through the beginning of February because we have a lot of activity going on. In San Antonio, Texas, starting on Wednesday... The National Cattlemen's Beef Association will hold its annual convention and trade show. And then February 6th through 9, the National Outstanding Young Farmer Congress takes place in Westbrook, Connecticut. I've had the pleasure of being part of that event uh, since 1965. It happens annually. And the number of finalists vying for the four 
national outstanding young farmer titles has uh, now been narrowed down to 10. There will be 10 finalists at the uh, uh, get-together this week, and uh, we'll, a week uh, from today, pretty much have an idea of who the four national outstanding young farmers can be. Uh, first big outdoor farm show of the new year gets underway on February 11 for three days. That's the World Ag Expo in Tulare, California. And uh, one of the more unusual farm shows, I mean, we have the Farm Progress Show in the Midwest and the Ohio State Farm Science Review and uh, those Midwest shows, but I'll never forget the first time I went to the World Ag Expo in Tulare, California in the San Joaquin Valley. I would go from one exhibit to another and I'd go to the people manning the exhibit and I would say, what does that machine do? Because with the variety of crops from uh, tree crops, the nut crops, the citrus crops, and uh, the many different uh, crops that are produced in California, I saw machinery there that I had never seen in the Midwest. And I think probably the most unusual one I saw on that first trip to the uh, World Ag Expo was a tree shaker. A tree shaker that would uh, wrap itself around the uh, trunk of the fruit or nut trees and then begin to shake so that the fruit or the nuts would fall to the ground. And, um, it's a show I've never forgotten and uh, have been back many times and it's still a fascinating show. So that'll be in Tulare, California, the uh, 11th to the 13th of February. February 12 to 15, the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville. That's the big one, and it attracts people for not only the displays of agricultural equipment, but also for the uh, uh, tractor-pulling championships that take place in Louisville. And then the uh, last big show for the month of February, the New York State Farm Show. And that's always in Syracuse, New York. And it's a big one for farmers in the eastern part of the country. And then, of course, we take the spring and the summer off to get crops planted, fields prepared, and uh, nurtured all the way through uh, September when we get into the Farm Progress Show and the Big Iron Show and the Ohio Farm Science Review and the Sunbelt Expo. So a lot going on agriculturally, but as I mentioned uh, talking to Matt earlier, uh, one of the things that I find in agriculture is that many of the companies providing goods and services for farmers and ranchers also uh, make their impact felt in other ways in communities across the country. And we're going to be talking about one of those programs currently underway to benefit rural America. We'll do that when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. I'm always pleased when companies who are serving agriculture with products are also serving agriculture with program grants being funded by the folks at Bayer. And I want to talk about that this morning because Aaron Glarner, who is Community Outreach Manager for Bayer, 
is with me on the line. And let's begin with a little bit of history of this program that's being funded, well, for quite a while now by Bayer. So share that story with me briefly, Erin. Sure. So um, the program, which is the America's Farmers Grow Rural Education Program, is a STEM grant program, and it started in 2011. And since the program started, we have actually given away over $18 million to more than 1,000 public school districts throughout the United States to enhance STEM curriculum in classrooms. And uh, you might give the meaning of STEM, S-T-E-M, again, for maybe a few of our listeners who don't know what it is? Yes. So STEM is a combination of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And what specifically can farmers apply for for their local rural school district? What kind of money, what kind of grants? Sure. So um, how the program works is a farmer will actually nominate their school district for an opportunity to apply for a $15,000 grant. So a farmer actually does the nomination of the school district, and then the school district is the one who applies for the grant. And where do they uh, make their application? Is there a, a website? Yes. So once a school district has been nominated by a farmer, they will receive an invitation code to apply. And that is on our website at americasfarmers.com. The grant application is on there and um, they can take the step-by-step process to fill out the application from there. Is it a complicated process or can somebody like me even do it? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, it is a very robust application. Um, We need to have, you know, very detailed information about what the project is, what you're looking to do, um, a very detailed budget information. But really, it is all, again, comes back to enhancing STEM curriculum. So as long as the project is focused on science, technology, engineering, and math, um, those are the types of grants that we're looking to um, provide. And how many years has Bayer been doing this through this fund? Yes, so the program started in 2011. So this is our ninth year um, doing the program. And what are the deadlines that we have for the current uh, application? Sure. So we actually officially launched on January 1st. So farmers have from now until April 1st to nominate their uh, local public school district of choice. And once nominated, a school district has until April 15th of this year to submit their grant application. For the farmer, the process is very easy. Uh, They can do uh, nominate one of three ways. If they participated in one of our programs in the past, they can uh, fill out a postcard that will be sent to them via mail. They can also call our toll-free number at 877-267-3332, or they can visit our website at americasfarmers.com. And the process for the farmer takes less than five minutes to complete, and then the school district will receive a notification that they have been, um, you know, provided the opportunity to submit a grant application. And when will the winners of that uh, grant be named? Yes, so winners will be announced in August of this year. 
So after the uh, application deadline of April 15th, a panel of math and science teachers will review all of the applications and select the finalists. And then the finalists are then turned over to our Farmer Advisory Council Board, who will review all of the finalist applications and uh, select the winners at that time. So can you give me an example of some of the grants that have been funded? What basically have they dealt with in their application? Sure. So I can um, actually out of the state of Illinois, a few years ago, a middle school um, purchased a 3D printer with one of our uh, grant dollars that they won. And an eighth grade class actually spent an entire year uh, researching, designing, and building a prosthetic arm for a farmer who lost his arm in a farming accident. And at the end of the school year, they presented the farmer with that. So that is an incredible story that came out of this grant program. I can also tell you in the state of Missouri just last year, a teacher um, overhauled and created a STEM lab equipped with an aquaponics system that breeds fish and grows plants within an integrated environment. So those are just two examples. But anything that you can think of that will enhance those combination of science, technology, engineering, and math um, are projects that we're looking to fund. Greenhouses are a very big po- uh, project that we funded in the past. Um, printers, technology, anything, science lab equipment that needs to be updated. Uh, those are just the, you know, few examples of the projects that we have funded in the past. And I'm guessing that many of those schools who applied for it probably wouldn't have a program today without the uh, funding that comes from the folks at Bayer. That is correct. We've heard back from many winners over the last several years stating just that, that if we wouldn't have been able to provide them with the funding, they would not have been able to implement those types of projects or curriculum in their classrooms. So we know that um, our money is going to great uh, causes for these students across the United States. And for a moment, let's uh, turn to other programs because I know you are involved as the uh, fund that provides uh, America's farmers grow communities and uh, grows ag leaders. You do individual scholarships as well as these uh, grant programs? Yes, that is correct. So um, so we are one of three programs. So America's Farmers Grow Communities is a um, donation program. So a farmer can nominate, um, can win the chance to direct a $2,500 donation to their nonprofit of choice. So it's kind of a sweepstakes. And then our Grow Ag Leaders program uh, provides uh, $1,500 scholarships the students who are pursuing an ag-related field of study in the future. And uh, those scholarships go for students of agriculture and not other industries, I take it? Yes. So they um, they need to be pursuing an ag-related field of study, um, but that is just to help, you know, offset some of the costs for, um, you know, that higher education fee. And these programs are all over the country, not just uh, one or two states, but anybody can apply if they qualify? That is correct. So um, for all, well, for um, Grow Rural Education, it's an eligible farmer that is in charge of nominating. And when I say that, it's just um, a farmer needs to be 21 years of age or older and uh, grow 250 acres or more of any crop. 
So again, give me the details on where they entered the program, the website, and whatever else uh, that will help people get involved in getting into these grant programs from Bayer. So let's run through the contact points again. Okay, sure. So for Grow Rural Education, farmers have from now until April 1st to nominate their uh, local public school district of choice. Once nominated, a school district has until April the 15th to submit their grant application. Farmers have one of three ways that they can nominate. Um, If they have participated in our program in the past, they will receive a postcard in the mail that they can simply fill out and return. They can also visit our website at www.americasfarmers.com, or they can call our toll-free number at 877-267-3332. And then again, our Grow Communities uh, program uh, allows farmers the opportunity to direct a $2,500 donation to their local nonprofit of choice. And then our America's Farmers Grow Ag Leaders program uh, provides $1,500 scholarships to students who are pursuing an uh, ag-related field of study in the future. Well, Erin, you've been very helpful uh, this morning, and uh, I'm hoping that a lot of folks jotted down the phone number or the websites or the uh, areas where they can make application for the program. And our thanks to you and our thanks to Bayer for this support of agriculture for customers who use their products. So, Aaron, thank you very much. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. A visit with Aaron Glarner, who is the Community Outreach Manager for Bayer, here on the Saturday Morning Show. And we're at the halfway mark here on the Saturday morning show, another day with not much sun in the Midwest and maybe a snowflake or two. And uh, then finally on Sunday, the weather people say we'll get to see sunshine across the midsection of the country again. And I know a lot of people are looking forward to that. And then, of course, is uh, the... uh, calendar moves on. I mentioned the many agricultural shows and conventions and meetings that are taking place. Uh, Max Armstrong will be attending the National Cattlemen's Beef Association meeting. That'll be in San Antonio. And uh, one of the many meetings that over the years I've had the opportunity to attend, and it's always fun to uh, have the opportunity to talk with cowboys and cattlemen and ranchers and uh, cow-calf operators from all over the country who turn out for the trade show and the NCBA convention. That gets underway on Wednesday and will continue into the weekend in San Antonio, one of my favorite agricultural convention towns in the country, San Antonio, Texas. Well, we are going to talk markets. Uh, Max Armstrong will talk to Jerry Goodell of Midland Research about uh, all of the activity in the markets because of the situation in China. So stay with us here on 720 WGN Radio Chicago. Coming up on the Saturday morning show, uh, we'll spend some time talking about market activity and coronavirus because 
Every market report we did this week, you had to lead off with talking about coronavirus, which certainly had an impact on all the markets from equities to agricultural commodities, futures trade at the murt of trade in the mercantile exchange. So we'll be talking about that as Max sits down with Jerry Goodell. But right now we say welcome to Samuelson Says. I'm Orion. And this week, I have a question. Who do you believe? Well, this week, I have a question that I want to share with you. Simply put, who do you believe? As a consumer of news and information, who do you believe? And as a communicator of news and information, what sources should I believe? How do I decide what is straight factual reporting versus personal opinion of the reporter? It's a growing problem for me and you as the number of information sources continues to multiply on the Internet. And the reason I bring it up this week is the Environmental Protection Agency announcement last week as it released its interim decision updating current glyphosate regulations as required by law. Glyphosate is the ingredient of Bayer's Roundup weed killer, and the subject right now of thousands of lawsuits filed by attorneys of cancer victims, lawsuits that amount to billions of dollars if they're finalized. And I'm sure you have seen the countless attorney commercials on TV asking you to engage the attorneys to file roundup lawsuits that could bring you millions of dollars if you are a cancer victim. So who do we believe? Chris Novak, CEO and president of CropLife America, representing the crop protection industry, said, and I quote, We appreciate the thorough review of a product that is an important and effective tool for farmers, foresters, homeowners, and landscape professionals. Having been on the market for more than 40 years, glyphosate-based herbicides are some of the most extensively studied and reviewed pesticide products. Over the past four decades, regulatory scientists have reviewed hundreds of studies, long-term animal studies, and genetic toxicity studies from both pesticide companies and third-party organizations. And these studies have consistently upheld the safety of glyphosate. Or do we believe the attorneys and the juries who probably took the emotional side of the argument in awarding some multi-million dollar cash settlements? I've been very fortunate because in my lifetime, I have not had a case of cancer in my family. But I know many families that have, and I certainly understand the emotional roller coaster ride they experience. So again, who do we believe? My thoughts on Samuelson Says, a presentation of Nexstar Media Group. Coming up, Max Armstrong sits down with Jerry Goodell to talk markets when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show.
We've been able to tap the brain of Jerry Goodell talking about what's going on in the, the agriculture markets. Midland Research is his firm, and yes. he, you do a lot of analytical work. Welcome back here. Yeah, exactly. I don't, that work and also do some uh, private consulting for farmers and uh, people in the business. Well, we have to talk about China pretty quickly here in the visit uh, this week uh, about what's been going on there and what isn't going on. How do you analyze, first of all, the market reaction to the news about the coronavirus? Well, there's some logic to have a little caution, but I think the market has really kind of overdone it here uh, from the point of view that, yes, it has had uh, seven or 8,000 people in China. It's had some deaths over there. There's very minor impact in the U.S. so far uh, from that point. Uh, this is a flu season around the world, uh, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. So I'm, I guess I'm a little uh, surprised that it's had this much significance, but it has to do as, as much with the uh, investing community uh, from the stock market and across the board. That's Unknowns are not happy for the stock market or the investing community. Well, the State Department has acted also, I think, to bring some people out of China, and you've got airlines canceling flights. So it, it's being compounded, I guess, in a number of ways. Is this one of those things? And I, I guess I've been thinking in my mind, you know, these things come up every now and then. There's there's this bubble of some sort that uh, that comes in here. I, I guess a bubble is not a right term. Ripple that comes yes. in. It affects the market, and it's a short-term thing. And when there's been a sell-off, then the market springs back. Is that bound to happen this time? Well, I think it will. I think it will. I think the other thing is added to this uh, agricultural impact is the fact that implementing the recent uh, U.S.-China trade agreement was going to take 30 days uh, from the January 15th to before the February 15th. And then you put in the uh, Chinese New Year that also took people away from the markets, uh, from the buy side of their point of view. And so the, uh, and people definitely are cautious about the whole idea uh, of China was going to be able to get some of these lofty objectives that, uh, and that wasn't something that wasn't discussed in this market for quite some time. But you put, put it all together and we've got kind of a setback mentality, which I definitely feel like that there will be some Chinese impacts. And the one thing you got to think about here too is the fact that yes, uh, we might not see the forty billion that's been touted around here in and uh, this year. The biggest thing is is that uh, last year we only had nine or ten. If we go to twenty or twenty five, and that uh, that's a big big increase. In, in, uh, the best, in the best year, it was what twenty nine, wasn't yes, it? Yes, and that was like uh, I think thirteen or fourteen, and then the, the one they're using is seventeen as a, a reference point. Uh, from there. So that's the thing is wild about it. Uh, yes, it's important and that kind of stuff. I think it is the emotions, though, that sometimes hits the U.S. Uh, investment community and the agricultural world in the short term. Uh, hopefully, uh, we're going to finally get uh, this thing going on. We're down here towards the low end of the price ranges we've been at for the last, uh, well, since uh, <clears throat> back last fall in November before we had a rally then. And, the, and that type of thing. Hopefully, we're going to be finding some support in corn and soybeans. Uh, wheat's a little bit higher because we had quite an impressive performance in that market uh, since last fall. But uh, that's really been a come uh, from the standpoint that the fundamentals were justifying uh, the tightness in the worldwide situation. And that's why I think that we'll see that, particularly in the corn. Uh, the soybeans, we still got a lot of competition from South America. Well, we do. Uh, that uh, harvest is getting underway down there. And uh, they just continue to talk about big crops. And and I was with that panel of Brazilians last week at the Farm Futures Business Summit, and a lot of smiles there. 
Big oh. big crops and good prices for them. Uh, it's it's a green light for them. Full speed ahead. Exactly. That's been the, the interesting thing. It's uh, they've had pretty good. Fortunately, had uh, weather that's despite a very late start. Now that's the one thing that's uh, part of this whole scenario for them. The the weather is, is cooperated. It hasn't been extremely hot in the northern areas. We are starting to get the harvest, which is still behind. Uh, normally, I think Ag Rural was talking about it being four and a half to five percent earlier this week, and that's comparison to say thirteen percent. Uh, or fourteen percent this time of year. Uh, from there, but uh, you know the uh, supplies have been very good and lots of good reports at this point. We'll see some of the areas of the north and northeast are not probably going to have as good a yield because they had some dryness. But in the short term, plenty of good news out of Matagrosso. Uh, as we take a look at weed, you mentioned that. Is that rally over? I mean, is that kind of fizzled out here? Well, back is, is that all there is, as Peggy Lee used to say? <laughs> well, I'm not sure that it I'll is. Explain it. You boys and girls, I'll explain that sometime. Yeah, exactly. Both of us understand that. <laughs> uh, at this point, the wheat market, I think, still has a little bit of uh, pop in it. I guess the big question is, will it? We've really pushed it up there just near $6 on that spot nearby March at the time. I think it was three ninety or 592 uh, and that. And the I think there's still some uh, some action in that world out there. The biggest thing that um, the one thing is going to be quite interesting is we had very good yields in the U.S. and now there's concerns about France and and their production because of uh, really straight uh, limited plantings over there. Uh, and the interesting thing has popped up in the last six weeks or so. The, the Russians are talking about having a particular quota system for exports. I don't know what that is going to do for us in 2020-21, but uh, it's always interesting when people think that they need to uh, control exports. That uh, I guess they like the prices now and think they can make a difference. I don't know that will be the case. But it's not a matter of uh, being concerned of a shortage, is it? No, not in Russia, at least at this point. I, I guess the one thing we've got to remember is, is that Australia has definitely been out of the market and it's been there for a couple, three years now. There is some indications floating around here that maybe things are changing in their part of the world. We just had a very good rain. At you mean that weather is getting better? Exactly. And there their, the, their production has been devastated uh, by the drought. Yeah, it's been going down since like two, three years. You know, it's been a, quite a while here. And it's down under, the current expectations are under 15 million metric tons uh, at this point after being like 23 or 4 a couple of years ago uh, back then. The... the, the the uh, heavy rains occurred in, uh, in Queensland here uh, last weekend, and it's actually flooding. That, that it. saved a crop for some. Yes, it is. It, it's more than anything else. It's more than towards sorghum and some of the other ones. Wheat is pretty well behind them down there. It's not going to change a right. lot there. But it, it, that's another feature in this thing. And the uh, the one thing that's been interesting in the wheat is is there's been rumbles, and it seems like they're very confirmed, is that the Chinese uh, snuck in and bought some uh, uh, Australian wheat back in December, and I've got some more on purchase than that. And that was one of the opt optimisms about the Pacific Northwest in the U.S. that they would be buying because we still have this whole WTO uh, type of uh, levels that have been out here, and that was some of the ideas that we're going to fill some of this forty billion from both wheat and corn. And I think still there's going to be some DDGs, uh, some sorghum. It's going to be a menagerie of things that the Chinese, that the Chinese will buy, buy to make up whatever the quantity is. Exactly. It's not going to be all beans and all corn and all things. It's going to, but buying DDGs, expanding ethanol, uh, that kind of stuff, 
uh, is going to be helpful to the ag economy in the U.S., we hope. The Ag Outlook Forum is coming up in a few days. Uh, USDA, you uh, you analysts and uh, consultants, I mean, it's always interesting to go to the Ag Outlook mm-hmm. Conference and you look around the room and it, uh, there are no farmers there. Nobody nobody who farms goes to this, but it's, it's consultants and lobbyists and former USDA officials and, mm-hmm. and analysts there. And sometimes news is made, at least early in the day mm-hmm. when, when reports are released. Well, that happened this year. Well, it's going to be right interesting. The big thing that's got everybody scratching their head is is that during the January update, we did not have any adjustments for what perceives to be the potential buying of the Chinese for maybe that this year or even next year in some of the outlooks. And the baseline numbers were put back together late October. So that was so, prior to an agreement. Exactly. So those they weren't included. That. Will there be some... Uh, adjustments to some of the numbers that they published in the baseline. Will they uh, actually think about in in the case of soybeans? Uh, we are ahead of our schedule of shipping on beans, and we're not doing ter- terribly bad on our, our sales. If we do have some more Chinese businesses, that can ratchet up our beans and then carry over for this year being smaller. Because the one thing that right now we're all anticipating higher uh, acreages for next year. We're not hopefully have the, another disaster like right. this year was on plantings. We had a great year on yields in some cases, uh, despite the late plantings. But it's a scenario of this thing looking at right now is the if we can knock a few uh, supplies off going into next year and don't go over and board, we can still have some optimism about prices in the 2020-21 year. Let me come back to the World Ag Outlook Board and plugging in assumptions on purchases by the Chinese. That's not the way they operate usually, is it? Based, you know, plugging in estimates based on policy changes? That is not their their, their past history, to say the least. Uh, and that, but I, you would think that there's, by ignoring the biggest trade deal that we've had in eons, let's just say, you and I can't remember something like this just happened here three weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, and that, there should be some implications to that in your general demand levels. But the problem is we're not finding anything in the short term. So it's this back and forth. Scenario. And, you know, and I know that traders don't like uncertainty or investing don't like incursion. They decide that when there's nothing that they can point to in the short term, they decide to pull out. And that's what's happened to us in the short term. I hope that uh, we do get some uh, some positive things happening in the in the trade on the worldwide basis. We have seen some things pop up in the corn over the last uh, week or 10 days. Jerry, always good to see you. Thank you for being in here. Always good to talk with you, Max. Jerry Goodell, Midland Research. This morning, I want to share with you a story that came across my computer screen from the folks at Reuters. Proving again, there's always somebody out there who is going to try to separate you from your money and assets. Here's the story, Dateline, Reading, Pennsylvania. The owner of an award-winning organic dairy in Pennsylvania that abruptly closed its doors last fall is accused of milking or bilking investors to the tune of nearly $60 million dollars. Philip Reel is the majority owner of Trickling Springs Creamery. He ran a long-running fraud scheme that preyed on hundreds of Amish and Mennonite investors, according to federal prosecutors. Reel, who was reportedly excommunicating uh, from the Mennonite church, 
was charged this week with securities and wire fraud. The criminal charges against Real were filed in the form of an information, and that's often a prelude to a guilty plea. And the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission says that he has apologized in a letter to investors, some of whom lost millions of dollars. According to the SEC complaint, he wrote, I am sorry for any form of dishonesty I am guilty of and for my part in any false impressions. Trickling Springs Creamery, located in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, opened in 2001 and produced milk, cream, butter, ice cream, yogurt, and cheese. The dairy's products were sold up and down the East Coast. And court documents said 68-year-old real lured investors to a fund that made most of its loans to Trickling Springs and paid off older investors with money from new investors. He and a co-conspirator also sold promissory notes in an effort to prop up the struggling creamery, lying to investors that it was profitable when in reality it was losing money. As of December, investors had lost $59.7 million through the Real Investment Program and Trickling Springs, falling victim to, to, to one of the largest Ponzi schemes in Pennsylvania history. According to U.S. Attorney William McSwain, Trickling Springs Creamery was a house of cards ready to collapse. Trickling Springs closed its plant and retail locations in Chambersburg last fall, writing on its Facebook page, We would like to express appreciation to our wonderful employees for their dedication and hard work, as well as the farmers who stood beside us and supported our mission. We are especially grateful to the community who has supported and loved our products throughout the past 18 years. The dairy filed for bankruptcy in December. Pennsylvania banking regulators previously filed a civil complaint against the dairy, Real, and its other owners, alleging 370 violations of state securities law. And on Thursday of this week, the State Banking Commission ordered Real and his co-conspirators to pay a $4 billion $375 million civil penalty, believed to be the largest such penalty in Pennsylvania history. Real faces up to 45 years in prison, a $5.5 million fine, and an order to pay restitution, although most of the investor's money was consumed by his failed creamery, and authorities said there is little chance that defrauded investors will be repaid. Apparently, there's always somebody out there willing to separate you from your hard-earned money. Quick look at where the markets closed yesterday. It wasn't a good day on Wall Street, certainly. But March wheat down seven cents for the day yesterday at 5.53 and three quarters. March corn did move higher. It was up two and a half cents at 3.81 and a quarter. March soybeans down three and a half cents at eight seventy two and a half cents a bushel, and uh, livestock futures 
pretty much the same story there. The lean hog contract really had a tough week. We were down limit a couple of days, and uh, so at the end of the trading session on uh, Thursday and Friday, we saw hog futures down for the third day as the cor- coronavirus spreads throughout China, and uh, the consumption of pork is now a little bit on the iffy side for the Chinese New Year lunar holiday. So let's hope that uh, as we move into the month of February and start a new trading month and a new trading week on Monday, that things will be getting better. But coronavirus will still certainly be in the market news that we report to you in the upcoming week. If you're heading for the Cattlemen's Convention in San Antonio, have a good trip and a good time visiting with folks that you probably see about once a year. Thanks to Bob who, Ferguson, who does our engineering work. Thanks to you for listening here on the Saturday Morning Show. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720. 